evening. This is attorney Vince Davis and attorney Raj Matani. We are on the Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio Show. The effects of divorce, especially when the divorce involves children, last far longer than the divorce process itself. The consequences of marital dissolution can affect all members of the family and can last a lifetime. You've got questions, we've got answers. Family law legal experts answer your questions about divorce, kids, money, property, custody, visitation, spousal support, and child support. I want to listen. welcome all of our listeners uh, to our show this evening. Raj, are you with us? I hear you loud and clear, Vince. Raj, tonight we have a special guest, um, and we want to welcome back Catherine McWillie. She is the CEO of Custody Calculations. For listeners who are unfamiliar with her work, Catherine has 32 years of experience dealing with family law. 24 years as a law enforcement officer with the Los Angeles Police Department, responding to radio calls dealing with divorce and custody. She was also a first responder to child abuse investigations. Catherine has spent 10 years researching family law, where she identified that divorce and custody issues may be responsible for 25% of the crime in the United States. Catherine has been a child custody and divorce coach for the past eight years, working with clients. By the way, I hear congratulations are in order. Um, you are going. Catherine's going to be presenting in Prague next year at the International Academy of Law and Mental Health. It's a conference dealing with family law courts, crime, and parental alienation. That's very impressive. Welcome, Catherine. Welcome back. Oh, thank you, Vince. It's a real pleasure to be back with you on the show tonight. And, yes, I'm a very excited to be a speaker at the conference next year. And, actually, family law, court, crime, and parental alienation is what I'm speaking about. The, the conference is, is, is extremely large, 141 pages of the agenda. So, um Family law, divorce, and crime is really gaining, you know, international awareness on this issue. So I'm proud to be representing uh, the United States in that next year. That's very, very impressive. Catherine, uh, so tonight's topic, I wanted to talk about parental, excuse me, about parallel parenting and why co-parenting may not be the right choice for a family. Oh, you know, Vince, co-parenting is really an outdated model for parents who are dealing with aggressive, alienating, and non-compliant behavior. It just doesn't work. And just for the record, if parents could co-parent, they'd likely still be married. Co-parenting, in my opinion, is also a failure by the system to recognize the obvious, which is these parents are getting a divorce, and while one parent may be willing to negotiate, the other may not be. Or one parent is so aggressive and so unreasonable that a parent is forced to litigate to reach any sort of reasonable outcome. And I just do not see this as not loving the children enough to get along. One person does not make a relationship or a good situation. And so the, the compliant parent or the less aggressive parent absolutely cannot control what the other parent does. And they don't have, you know, without leverage. And most parents don't know how to deal with that early on. They have expectations about the court system that unfortunately are very wrong. And later when they realize that, it's usually too late. And, you know, we could do a whole show on leverage alone. Regardless, the less aggressive, more compliant parent needs an alternative if they are going to survive, not only as a parent and have a relationship with their children, but to have any sort of life after their divorce when custody is involved. Catherine, this is very interesting. So what do you tell your clients? I tell my clients to stop trying to co-parent. There's a better alternative called, yes, you got it, parallel parenting. It simply is the best possible alternative in these situations. 
actually in nearly every divorce and custody situation, in my experience, amicable or high conflict and everything in between. Parents who are involved in the amicable divorce, they, they'll find their way most of the time. And when they don't, they can fall back on the court order when they must. That's not true for a high-conflict parental alienation case. Even with court orders, these cases rarely turn out well. And, and Vince, I, I realize this is a really strong statement, but what has your experience been with regard to co-parenting in high-conflict cases? You know, to be honest with you, until um, I was thinking about the show tonight, the only thing that I really know in family law and in uh, juvenile dependency cases is the term co-parenting. I mean, that has been all the rage for as long as I can remember. But I can tell you in high-conflict cases, it doesn't work. You know, and now that you're mentioning it, I, you know, I perhaps didn't really stop and think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's so little conversation about parallel parenting, and most professionals aren't even aware of it. Like yourself, you have a long history in dependency cases and family law cases, and you're unfamiliar with the term. Raj, how about you? What What is your experience? Are you familiar with the term parallel parenting, or what do you tell your clients? Uh, you know, it's it's an it's an emerging term that really doesn't come up, and you know, a lot of practitioners and even judges are. Uh, Vince, I hate to date you here, but uh, you know, they're a lot like Vince. They're people who have been around for a while and don't know or are unfamiliar with sort of these new concepts. Um, for me, it's it seems to be that most of my cases are high conflict, and you know, the advice that I always give is like, you have to co-parent, you have to work together, you have to figure out. Um, you know how to how to take care of these kids, and um, it's sort of like your previous statements. When people are in this sort of high conflict situation, to advise them to work together is they can't see they can't see that through their uh, frustration, and it uh, you know they need a, an alternative that helps them move forward. And um, you know from your from our show today, I think they're going to be given an, an alternative strategy that could be really beneficial. Yeah, I mean, co-parenting to me equals, uh, you know, a recipe for a disaster, a recipe for failure. And that's the last thing that parents in family law need. I'm sorry, Vince, I interrupted you. You know, I want to ask you for, for myself and for the listeners, why don't you give us a definition of what parallel parenting is? Okay. I think that's a really good starting point. So think of parallel parenting as a form of custody. When you have custody of the children, you make all the decisions for the children. When the children are exchanged, your authority to make decisions for the children is transferred to the other parent. Of course, there is exceptions such as emergencies, including specific provisions that might be included in a court order. But at the core, Parallel parenting minimizes all contact and communication between the parents. It allows each parent to parent without interference of the other and to make decisions for the children separate from the other parent when they have custody, which was the goal for most families going through divorce in the first place. They want to make decisions different from the spouse. If they have children, now if there's no children, you know, obviously they are want to deal with other issues. But, you know, with practice, parents can learn to communicate in a far more direct manner with parallel parenting, less emotionally, reducing the anxiety and frustration. And then with each new improvement, the parents and the children take steps towards a more stable, more peaceful relationship in and out of the courtroom. Well, Catherine, why don't you give give me and give the listeners some examples of parallel parenting. Okay. So with parallel parenting, each parent would develop their own relationship with all of the people that are involved in their children's lives, the teachers, the doctor, the dentist, counselors, basketball or football coach, swimming coach, dance teacher, tutors, whoever it is in their child's life. And then let's say there's a problem with the children's homework. Instead of communicating with the other parent about the homework, which you would do in co-parenting, the parent would now simply contact the teacher to deal with the homework 
issue and not involve the other parent at all. So the solution, let's take the homework example again, the solution might be that one parent keeps a second set of books at their house or the one big book being used at that moment, depending on what the homework requirements are, the age of the child, whatever the issue is, you work around it with the teacher and do not involve the other parent. So you're not sending any emails to the other parent. You're not becoming involved in an email exchange with the other parent because we all know how those emails play out. One parent blames the other in the email and the blame game begins. You're not doing the homework during the parenting time. Why aren't you doing the homework during the parenting time? I can't do this. You're supposed to be doing this. You're not sending the books uh, home that children need to do their homework. Now, as, as both Raj and, and Vince, you know, sometimes and absolutely these are intentional acts to interfere with a parent's parenting time. So asking them for help or involving them in a solution, again, is just setting up the situation for, for failure, as if that was even more possible. So it also doesn't provide these constant emails of blame, don't provide the environment necessary to change the dynamics of the relationship, no matter if you're the one getting the emails or sending the emails. Remember, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different response. So uh, chime in. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I find this fascinating as we sit here and talk about this tonight on this show, um, because what you're saying makes so much sense. But all the problems that you have identified um, with co-parenting, I see every day in our family law cases where we have child custody and visitation issues. I mean, what you just said is the exact outline on every high-conflict divorce case or family law case or custody and visitation case that we have in our office. I find this amazing, and I find what I, what's more amazing is I've never heard of it, and I'm being educated tonight, and I'm wondering how I can bring this up in cases and educate my fellow, you know, my colleagues and the judicial officers. Uh, because I, I can think of a case right now that Raj and I have. Um, it's a very high conflict uh, uh, custody and visitation case. And the judge keeps telling us about he expects the parents to co-parent, but they don't get along. And we all we exactly. have are these emails, emails going back and forth, and all we have is the blame game, and we're always going back and forth, back and forth. And, and to me, it's a waste of time, energy, and money, and it's not doing the child any good. And they are always the losers in these scenarios. I mean, there's just, I mean, the first steps, of course, are just bringing up to the judge the information, hey, judge, we need to be doing parallel parenting, and this is, a quick synopsis of how it would work. But, uh, you know, I think if we give a few more examples probably, can you think of some more that you'd like to maybe ask? And I think that will help clarify a little bit more for you uh, advice that you can give clients and then also for our listeners. Well, you know, I see this, you know, all the time, these co-parenting issues all the time with doctors, dentists, and counseling appointments. How would this work with parallel parenting? Okay, so how it's, it's simple because what would happen is each parent would make their own appointment for the children and each parent would take the children to the appointments they make when they have custody and not during the other parent's parenting time. That's a huge issue. Parents will make an appointment for the child and then take them during the other parent's parenting time. So there needs to be sometimes the language in the court order that prevents that. But if each parent takes the children and is responsible for taking the children when they have custody, if they want to, or they can leave it up to the other parent to do whatever makes sense. And in some cases, I absolutely do tell my parents, hey, just let the other parent deal with the counseling appointments, and then you follow up with the counselor on a quarterly basis. But they were having so many problems the one parent would cancel the appointment and say, uh, the next appointment is mine. And it just, it became a nightmare. And the, my client's life immediately became much simpler when they just 
said to the other parent, you take them to the counseling appointment, I'll deal with it. So, you know, it depends on how high the level of conflict is. But just starting off by saying each parent takes the child to their appointments by themselves with the children when they have them. And then after the appointment, the parent taking the child to the parent simply sends an update on the information to the parent. Uh, there was a prescription change. There's no cavities. It was a regular checkup. Um, instead of, which you know comes into play in the blame game, no, the child's not brushing their teeth at your house. That's why they have new cavities. The prescription isn't working because you are not giving it to the children when they are with you. So you just get away by just dealing with the facts. There's a prescription change. There's no cavities. There's one cavity. This is a regular checkup. No other information. Now, I recognize, as you do, that there's oftentimes parents who do not provide any information after the appointment, and the parent says, oh, so how is this supposed to work then? And what I do is tell my clients that instead of going back to court and trying to get the other parent to cooperate, which you have to send at least an email requesting that, keep a list of issues and go back to court at one time. But in the meantime, to get information on your child, contact the doctor's office directly and ask for a copy of the child's records. Most of the time, parents do provide the name and contact information of the doctor or dentist. So just contact them directly. Get a copy of the bill. Get a copy of the medical record. Talk to the nurse or talk to the receptionist and get the information yourself. Do not get involved in you didn't contact me and tell me what the appointment result was. Why didn't you tell me that this was happening? You just bypassed that, and your life becomes easier. Now, even for some parents, the other parent won't provide the name of the doctor or dentist. If you are the parent providing insurance information, contact your insurance company. When the other parent puts in a reimbursement with the insurance company, you can gain access to the information at that point, and then you contact, again, the dentist or the counselor or the, the doctor directly. And then, like I said, you keep track of the issues and then decide with the help of your attorney when you should and shouldn't go back to court. But at minimum, group the problems together as opposed to going back to court for each incident. So, I mean, Raj, how does this sound to you? I mean, I know Vincent's hearing this for the first time. I'm not really clear for you. What Does this information seem like it would help your clients? You know, no, you know, the more that you're talking about it, sort of I'm realizing that this is kind of the advice that I'm giving to a lot of my clients. I just don't categorize it as parallel parenting. Um, the main thing that I'm telling parents, whether high conflict or not, is that, when the child is with you, that's your time. So that, you you know, if a, a medical appointment is done during your time, don't fight the other parent and say that they're interfering with your visitation. You know, being a parent is about doing all the stuff, taking them to appointments, taking them to school activities, doing homework. It can't just be fun all the time when you're doing your visitation. So, you know, clients, a lot of the times that... You have to separate yourself from the other person. Focus on your time with the child and make sure that it is as wholesome and complete as possible and sort of consider that as your time. And what sort of what the courts are doing to help parties in this is they're giving them a third-party third communication device. And there are two programs that are helping or that are most often used. One is called Our Family Wizard and the other one is Talking Parents. Um, the Family Wizard is a paid program, but it's really great because it can incorporate elements of uh, child support and um, spousal support at times um, and help you calculate a lot of different issues, but um, it implements a lot of your strategies, Catherine. So, for instance, uh, a parent posts on there that there is a doctor's appointment and that uh, it's at a certain time at a certain place. The other parent has to see that notice and then upon completion of the appointment, the other parent's supposed to post, hey, you know, there was one cavity or all these other things. And there's no 
discussion about who is the culprit in creating the issue that led to the appointment or led to the results of it. It's simply a place to post, this is the status of the kids they're, while they're in my care, and here's the information that you need to know. And, uh, you know, sort of what it allows parents to do is focus on their own time, focus on their kids during their time, and really be child-focused. Um, and I think that's sort of what gets lost in this whole process is that while these parents are being bitter towards one another, they're forgetting that at the core of every court, whether dependency or family law, the court has one job. They want to look out for these kids. And the more the parents seem to be contentious, it doesn't help the court and it doesn't help the kids. So, um, you know, these strategies that you're recommending, Catherine, of, uh, you know, minimizing the interaction between the parents and the points of conflict for the parents, I think the court is moving towards that. Uh, they're just not calling it parallel parenting yet. Um, but they're really encouraging parents to sort of start maybe adopting some of these strategies. Well, let me just kind of reply to some of this, um, which is I think My Family Wizard and some of the other third-party communications are moving towards uh, a very good position for some parents. However, I have a lot of clients involved in high conflict that deal with My Family Wizard, and what will happen is a parent will put false information on My Family Wizard. They'll say a game, uh, you know, so they'll provide this, perception that their uh, parent A is being cooperative when, in fact, they're providing false information. So always there's parents out there who are making things difficult. And I will also say that I see and hear frequently your statement um, and where we say there's a lot of blame put on parents. Hey, if they weren't always fighting, if they weren't always going to court, these problems wouldn't exist, these kids would not be in this position. And I really put the blame on the courts. Because if the <laughs> courts enforced their court orders, these parents wouldn't be going back to court as often as they do in an attempt to get the court to do something. Because there's this, as I said earlier, an unfair expectation of what the courts will and will not do when they enter the divorce process. And parents are really being shortchanged. And I think that until the courts really recognize that they have all the power and control and they're refusing to wield it in helping parents, that they're actually taking a position that is more destructive in the care of the child uh, by the way and method and manner that they rule. But I will agree that there are definitely parents who benefit by some of these third-party um, uh, services. And also, if we're told, instead of it being uh, sort of haphazard, try this or do this, if they could go on the Internet and research parallel parenting, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, that put a name to it, and that becomes much easier for the courts to accept, for the attorneys to advocate, for the professionals to advocate, and for the parents to uh, understand how it works. Yeah, I, I, you know, just to, not to get too tangential today, but, uh, you know, there's always going to be that issue about one side presenting a picture that's not representative of the truth. And some of that is on the attorney just to bring that out or present that evidence to the court um, that things may not be as they appear. So I, I think that issue is always going to be there, and um, sometimes you can't always resolve it, but it's the endeavor of, I think, every good good counselor to try and, and let the court know that, let the court know of the true nature of events and um, make sure that their client is reaping the benefits of that representation. Um, especially, you know, and on the other thing is we have, especially on parenting issues, Raj. I agree right. with you on that. And, and, you know, as far as enforcement goes, I, I think you couldn't be uh, more spot on. You know, there's, there's a big issue, um, and this is not just in family law. This is in every element of law. There's, you know, the courts have have their powers, but how do they enforce it? You know, they're just a decision-making arm. Um, and the only recourse that some parents have are <clears throat> coming back to court and saying, you know, your orders are not being followed or we need some other enforcement mechanisms. Uh, and so I think it's a daily battle every time, and um, it creates conflict, I think, sometimes more than is necessary. So. 
there's a little bit on every party to this process to uh, sort of recognize alternative strategies or try and find a better way to help parents sort of get through this process. Um, and maybe one, one way is for the courts to execute a little more authority. Um, but I think the best way is for, you know, clients to take a little bit of personal accountability and start trying something different that maybe, you know, gets them a different result. So um, well, I think it's a very complicated to, problem. Right. I think they're forced to look at alternatives. So that's what's so great about the tonight's show is that parents are hearing this for the first time. So, Vince, let me get it back to you as a monitor. What what else do you have for me that you'd like to? Well, I wanted to know what are some of the other examples of how this parallel parenting could help parents? I'd like to know so I could start advising my clients of this. Well, I think another area that's very uh, contentious for parents is they'll enroll the child in an, in an activity with the expectation and understanding that the children will participate in the activity even when they're with the other parent. And that's not correct. If the other parent chooses to have the children participate during some of their parenting time or not at all, that is their decision. And parallel parenting makes that very clear. No emails demanding that the children attend activities that one parent enrolls while with the other parent, some of the time or all of the time. And that one is really pretty tough for parents. But, but that thinking allows each parent to have the children participate in those activities they wish to impart to their children, that they wish their child to learn about and participate in without the demands of the other parent. Because in some cases you have parents that will purposely enroll, over-enroll the child in activities, having the child pressure the parent, oh, let me do this and this. But in, and I know that other times the child or the parent will pressure the other parent by saying, oh, if I'm not there, I'll be dropped from the team. But in reality, even in intact families, children do not attend all the games, all the practices, or all the functions. And today's coaches, whatever the team or activity is, and I'm using the term coaches, they're well aware of this issue. And they factor in divorce and visitation schedules uh, in their participation lineups. And I tell clients, in case of a question about expectations of these activities, speak to the coach, speak to the teacher, speak to whoever is in charge, outline your situation, and see if they can work with you if you have your child just participate some of the time. And if they can't work with that, believe me, there's lots of other teams or activities that parents can enroll their children in that will take their children on a, you know, part-time basis. But we have to move away from demanding that whatever one parent enrolls the children in first, you know, there's that game of who enrolls the child first, but the other parent has to have the child go. It doesn't work that way. Very interesting, very interesting. What else do parents need to do to parallel parent? Well, I'm going to go back to the sports because, I, I you know, sports and, and other activities are, are pretty tough. And if you decide to have the children participate in the same activities or in, there are times when the court may mandate that you take the children to the activities, do not rely on the other parent for information or updates on practice games or locations or tryouts. Even if you do rely on the parent, I've had clients, going back to what I said to Raj just a moment ago, who are frequently provided false information. So they go to the wrong location on the wrong date or the wrong time. And you can avoid all of this frustration by taking off work early or driving a long distance. Let's say you're just going to attend the game. The other parent has the children, but you just want to see your child participate. You can avoid all of this frustration 
by just being on the email list and getting all the updates directly by the coach or whoever is in charge of the activity. And that's really important because, you know, parents, you know, during the week, especially games and practices, parents will leave work, fight traffic, and then can you imagine standing there in an empty field with your camera ready or your video camera ready only to find out that you've just been provided, um, you know, bad information. And let me just tell you that at various times, 30% of my business revolves around these issues, including uniforms. I also tell my parents, keep your own set of uniforms if you're going to have the children participate jointly in these functions or part of the time. Do not rely on the other parent. Again, 30% of my business just on uniforms and activities. So I, I don't know, Vince, is this something, maybe you're like Raj, and maybe you've been telling parents to do some of these things. What, what do you find with, with this, with doctors and dentists and counseling appointments and all of this? What, do you, what have you been telling parents? I've been telling, I think, I've been telling them the wrong thing. <laughs> I, you know, have been uh, brainwashed by this whole concept of co-parenting. And by the way, Raj uh, and Catherine, the term co-parenting is blessed by our some cases in our, uh, our court system where they um, use that term as the be-all, end-all to solve all high-conflict cases. And rarely does, I mean, you know, if the people get along, okay, they can be co They don't get along. Co-parenting doesn't work, and I, I think you're right. And I didn't realize that until tonight, until you were explaining it, Catherine. Oh, yeah, there's, there's so many options available through parallel parenting that make a parent's life much simpler. So, and, and by the way, the simpler their life becomes, the less frustration they feel, the more they move to a more stable environment for themselves and for their children. But, you know, Ross, like, tell me, how have you solved some of your worst cases? I mean, tell me what your worst case is and, and how you solved it. Uh, you know, I, I ran into this uh, this morning, actually. Uh, we got a, a new client yesterday. Uh, had been dealing with a very frustrating custody issue, and uh, you know we she had a previous attorney, and we we substituted into the case this morning. And one of the sort of big contentious issues, or the thing that that our client was holding on to, was that the opposing uh, parent and her new spouse had enrolled the children in, in a after school activity, and then failed to include her on the emergency contact. So it becomes even more difficult for her to sort of employ the strategies that you're suggesting by directly reaching out to these, uh, you know, caretakers and providers. Uh, and the way that we resolved it uh, was first, <laughs> uh, all of the attorneys sort of chastised the other side saying, you can't do that. Um, and I think they knew they were wrong, but they were, they were being bitter parents and being contentious parents. So first we chastised the other side. Uh, then we, uh, called our client, or then we counseled our client to say, you know, you need to take some authority here, go to that Boys and Girls Club, show up with a birth certificate, and tell them that you need to be informed about these issues. And then lastly, we directed the court to first admonish the other side that you've done something improper, um, and then uh, to add some specificity to uh, any stipulations and court orders saying that Neither of you are to be engage in this behavior. Neither of you are to play these games with these kids. And both of you are to keep each other apprised and informed of all of these things. So uh, I think when you have these contentious issues and you're encouraging people to co-parent, uh, you first have to uh, you know, lodge some sense into your clients as to how to engage in this behavior. And then you've got to give a lot of specificity and detail to the court, um, either on the record or via stipulation, and let both of them know that this is the program we're going to follow, and if you don't follow it, the next time we come back to court, there might be a change in visitation. So um, uh, I think when you know people have engaged in this behavior for so long or this contentious behavior for so long, um, it becomes sort of second nature to them as to how they can poke and prod the other side 
Um, and, you know, once the court admonishes them of it, I think when counsel gives them a reality check, um, then it, the problem is on its way to being solved, but, you know, you can't solve it in one appearance. Well, that's why it's so important to move these families, you know, you know one step at a time, uh, to a better situation, but uh, I, I won't go into the fact that, you know, a lot of times courts will chastise a parent, and the court orders usually do require a parent to include the other parent on as an emergency contact in most court orders nowadays, but, you know, it's still a contempt motion, but if the courts were stronger, there would have to be less work done. Right. Um, I- in these situations. Yeah, you know, I, I run into this um, uh, quite a bit. <clears throat> and, you know, it's sort of frustrating when every, you get a call every day from a client saying, he didn't do this or she didn't do that. And it's things that people should be able to work out if they had the strategy to do it. Um, and so, you know, it saves, it was, I think your strategies today save everybody time, money, and energy. And uh, I think that might be the best motivator of all when people people see a bill for how often they talk to their attorney and realize that there's a way to solve the problems on their own. Absolutely. You might want to talk to them about having a divorce coach. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Vince, you were uh, were about to say something. What about in case of an emergency? What what would happen? Well, Absolutely, uh, there's exceptions in parallel parenting. Most court orders are very specific that immediately or within a specified number of hours or as soon as possible, the other parent shall be notified of a medical emergency or hospitalization of the child. So parallel parenting in that context would not be, oh, by the way, as you're exchanging the children, I just want to let you know there was an emergency visit. No, that you would abide by the court order to follow the requirements of uh, an emergency. So that's the exception of parallel parenting. Okay. Well, Catherine and Raj, let me see if we have any callers uh, that may have questions this evening. The first call I'm going to take is from area code 972, ending in 70. Good evening. You're on with attorney Raj Matani, Vince Davis, and Catherine McWilly. Wow, okay. Hi. Hello? Uh, hi. Um, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, loud and clear. Oh, okay. Um, I, I don't know how many questions I really have. To this situation, I have four kids. All all four situations are different. Um, same dad. Um, how is parallel parenting something that's like written into the court orders, like that exact verbiage, um, or is it just outlined um, the different the specific points? Catherine, uh, why don't you take Vince, that question? Great. Uh, it's a great question, by the way. No, parallel parenting does not have to be specified in a court order because, as we've been discussing, most courts are unaware that it exists. You can simply start implementing parallel parenting within the requirements of your court order. For instance, like we said, the exception would be an emergency. But you can start communicating with the parent with less emotion, uh, minimizing the communications, Without a court order. Okay. So why don't you give definitely. me why don't you give me an example? I think give me an example on one child so that I can be more specific to your situation and and give you a better tool because that's too general. Okay. So um, I, I guess my biggest problem with all four he has um, my ex it does not uh, he he threw out the oldest brought her home to me and did not see her anymore. He uh, he has alien, completely alienated the second daughter from me, and I have no contact with her. Um, I've seen her one hour in the past year. Um, I do have visitation, but she's above. She's going to age out very quickly next uh, month on the 17th. Um, I have I tried um, 
you know, the more, I guess, amicable, try to, you know, may I see her? I'd really, you know, the, all the girls need to get together, this kind of thing. Um, nothing from the other side. I really have just stuck to um, uh, the last couple of emails have been uh, one word, yes, period, or no, period. When he has asked me um, specific things, it's uh, his response as far as my 17-year-old is like, you know, it's your problem with her when he and his wife are the one who basically alienated her from me. Um, I would like to get some response on that side and try to contact my daughter, but that's probably not within the realm of what you're talking about. He is starting to um, work on the 13-year-old, and he has said, you know, she came home saying, oh, doesn't Dad have 30 days in the summer with me? And I said, yes, but he should have notified me by April 15th if he wanted to visit you, you know, if he wanted you to come over during the summer and he did not follow that rule. So um, until I hear from him, he's he's using the 13-year-old as a messenger and trying to get her over there more to, I guess, continue, you know, alienate her as well. He's kind of got the second one. Now he's working on the third daughter. And so I don't... um... So let me sort of stop you here. I I think I've got a general impression of the situation. First of all, let me give you my phone number. It's area code 702. Do you have paper and pencil? Um, Yes. Okay. So area code Uh 702-675-5120. I want you to call me either after the show tonight or anytime over the next few days and I want to talk to you about the reunification with your older children because that's what one question is. The next question is dealing with the summer. How and what should you be saying to your daughter, which is also outside of parallel parenting? And then right. the, the other issue, which is attached to the 13-year-old, is how do you communicate with the father? What should you be saying? What should you not be saying in regards to the summer schedule? So, you know, that you know, you because your problems are so, you have a lot in this conversation, it, it would be better for us to have a conversation outside uh, of the show because it falls outside the parameters. And right. then um, and then I will, I do, I talk to parents all the time. Don't worry about money. I, I help parents, and if I can do it in one or two phone calls, it, it's just all done on a pro bono basis. So call wow. me. But typically... Okay. What what I would do is before the summer, if the uh-huh. other parent doesn't contact you and they're outside the court order, you don't have to keep contacting them. You just simply say to your daughter, "Hun, I never heard from your dad. Let's see what happens in the meantime. Let's have a great summer together." You don't have to call oh, yeah. dad. You don't you don't have to say, "Dad, right. what do you want to do about this?" It's on dad. You know, and yeah. I would give the same advice if the situation were reversed and it was a mother you know, that hadn't responded. You know, in this particular right. case, it's the father. But you don't need to send any emails. It was okay. it was their job to contact you. And I would not be so specific about the details of the court order with your daughter saying, well, I didn't hear from your dad by the 15th. Yeah, yeah, you okay. Want it. You're just worn down, Mom. You've got four kids. By the way, congratulations. And Thank I'm you. sorry for <laughs> what you're going through. But... You've got to keep your energy up. You've got to reduce what you deal with on the parallel parenting issues and just say to your daughter, "Hun, what and if your dad contacts us, we'll deal with it then. In the meantime, let's have a great summer. Yeah, Doesn't that very sound better? Yeah. Yes, and she, she does come home every time I pick her up on Sunday night. It is like complete deprogramming. There's a melt. I mean, sure. normally we're really close, but, I mean, it's a complete meltdown. I have allowed. I have agreed to let her go to church camp with the alienated daughter at his church, and so I do plan on contacting the church directly and saying, "Okay, what time do I need to have her there? What time do I need to pick her up? Perfect. This is my phone Perfect. number, and not have not have him pick her up or take her." And I know that um, she's not, but um, oh, I think we're losing the connection. Um, okay, well, you've got, if you can still hear me, the caller, you're welcome to contact me. Vince, why don't we go on to, I think there's time for one more question, or do you want to continue? 
I'll continue right now. Ma'am, thank you for okay. calling, and, and please call in next Wednesday at uh, 7 p.m. Hello? Uh, Catherine? Yes. What else do parents need to know about parallel parenting? Um, I, I think it's really important to point out that parallel parenting does not mean no contact. It means that contact is minimized to the issues that are necessary for the parents to discuss as outlined in the court order or in case of emergency. It doesn't mean that you never communicate with the other parent again. So I think that really needs to be clear. We're not saying never talk to the other parent, never communicate. We're just saying minimize it and handle it differently. Very good. Now, how easy do you think it is for parents to implement parallel parenting? Well, I think that once a parent has the basics down, they'll be amazed how much easier and better their life is and that of their children can become in most cases. And I really want to make a point of saying, notice that I say in most cases, because let's face it, no one solution can work all the time in all cases, but Parallel parenting comes pretty darn close in my experience. But parents should be aware that reading one or two articles on parallel parenting is not going to magically make everything better. It's not going to overnight improve their communication or parenting skills with the other parents. But it does get easier with practice. Now, I'll tell you, one parent that I worked with said, They never imagined their life could be this good. They never realized how much co-parenting was actually hurting their family. And I'm happy to report that not only did this one family move to a much better parenting situation and their children, that when they did have an emergency, they avoided court entirely. And what would have been huge legal fees for attorneys and experts as a result of their improved situation using parallel parenting. Now, it absolutely helped that I was in the background working with them, with the client, not both parties, with my client, reasoning with them that it it was possible to avoid court, reminded them of the process, the progress, that, that all would be lost if they went back to court. And that client has called several times to say thank you and, and I was really struck by their comment that they said, if people only knew about these options, how many of them could stay out of court, keep out of court. And this family has not only continued to do really well, but they've thrived. And when do you ever hear anybody use that term in family law? Families should be able to thrive after their divorce. Catherine, can parents do this uh, all by themselves, on their own? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's possible, depending on how much research a parent does and how well they apply what they've read to their specific parents. For some parents, this isn't an option. They're working two or three jobs and money's tight. They're exhausted and they can't squeeze in one more thing in their day or another expense. But but it is possible. You know, if time's of an essence, and it usually is in these cases, especially if a parent wants to reclaim their life and their parenting time with their children um, as soon as possible, I suggest working with someone who really knows how to implement parallel parenting, whether that's me or someone else. Now, again, the difficult part is not many professionals are talking about parenting, parallel parenting. They don't know it exists. So it might be tough to find help. Another issue is cost. If you do find a professional, it can be expensive to be coached one-on-one. But really, even just a couple hours spread over several phone calls, several weeks, or even months can make a huge difference to jumpstart the process because the learning curve is so detrimental. The mistakes they make slow up the progress. So that's another bonus of working out with a professional. But check out the options on the Internet. I mean, the Internet provide so much more information to parents today than it did 20 or 30 years ago that they never had access. There's so many more options, monthly membership programs to help parents keep costs down, group conference calls with question and answer sessions now. 
Uh, there's also support groups being offered all around the country, and parents should reach out and participate in these groups as much as possible. But learning what options are available and new ways to deal with their scenarios can improve their situation. Um, but just find out what other professionals, again, myself or others, are offering, and then make the decision for yourself what works best for you with time and money. You know, Catherine, I, I, as I sit here listening to you, um, I realize that not only in Los Angeles County in Southern California where we practice uh, family law and divorce law, but all over California, all over the United States, probably all over the world as well, there are probably thousands and thousands of people that would benefit or that would want or need this service. I'm sitting here amazed that, um, first of all, that I had never heard of it, and if I had, I didn't remember it because co-parenting has been beaten into my brain over the last 30 years practicing law in California, divorce law and family law. But I, the things that you have said, are they seem so simple, yet I, I think that they could save people, like you say, the time, the energy, the money. You know, people spend money in divorce cases, and most of the money is burned up, literally burned up in the custody and visitation battle. Raj, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, you know, people could get along, Vince. I don't think you and I wouldn't have a job, but um, maybe fortunately or unfortunately it, it happens, and, you know, they need someone to help them. Uh, a lot of these things are just about implementing common sense strategies about how to, uh, you know, sort of uh, get along to get on. And... Um, so many resources could be saved if people were able to interact this way, um, but for some reason or whatever reason they can't. And it's not to say that even if they have these tactics that there won't be issues, but I think if, if parents took on two approaches, they could, they could save themselves a lot of heartache. So the first would be you know, adopting some of Catherine's strategies, I think would be awesome. Um, uh, and then additionally, you know, just being child-focused. Um, I'm hearing this from the bench more and more and more, specifically the term saying child focus, that at every decision, you know, uh, the parents shouldn't be concerned about how it impacts their life, about what it does to them, so on and so forth. They should be child focused. Um, and I'll give a good example of, of what that means. For instance, today, at, you know, I was referencing this case earlier, um, and I'll do it again just because it's top of mind, but... Uh, you know, the judge asked the uh, asked the father, saying, you know, uh, would you be willing to go to counseling to help your child? And the father's response was not the father's response was, Your Honor, you know, I have to work. I don't know how I will get there. And the judge immediately shot that down, and said, I didn't care about what your schedule was. I asked if you'd be willing to do something for your kids. And the judge shut him down and said, your response tells me all I need to know about you. That's kind of what creates these issues between parents is they're concerned about their own, uh, you know, vendettas against each other or how to get the other parents out. And if they were more child-focused and more intent on uh, sort of these parallel parenting strategies, uh, it would limit time, energy, money, resources, and um, could lead to, to, to better lives for everybody. So, you know, hopefully... Our information today has, um, you know, reached at least one person, and then if they can start doing that, then, you know, maybe then we've, we've helped one person today. So um, we'll see what happens. Catherine, um, we're running out of time, and why don't you do me a favor and, and give us a close, closing statement and wrap this up for me. Okay. I want parents to know they can thrive after divorce. They do not need to be held hostage to an outdated and what I would call a barbaric parenting technique like co-parenting. Alternatives exist. Research is leading the way in many improvements in the court and many divorce professionals. They're slowly catching up. They're being forced to for so many different reasons. And 
you know, I want to just really emphasize that there's such an advantage through the Internet. There's some wonderful articles on parallel parenting. I'm sorry that because we were so focused on trying to get as much information out tonight as possible, we were not able to take, uh, you know, but the one call. But I really want to give my phone number out, uh, 702-675-5120. My website address is custodycalculations.com. The website lists all of my comfort, uh, contact information, emails, phones. If you want to reach out and have a conversation on this issue or others, please do so. I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Vmail, Pinterest. Even if you're not ready to reach out, you just want to learn more, I have information on parallel parenting. And then also I want to remind everyone listening to the show that Vince provides uh, free eBooks through his website so listeners can receive a free copy of uh, his books. And then if you email me, I will send you one of my uh, e-magazines that might help parents also dealing with Facebook, emails, and text messages uh, during divorce. And you just go, actually, just go to the website, enter your name and email address, and a cost will be provided, uh, a copy will be provided and uh, no cost. And then Raj and Vincent, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, love working with you guys. I think we always have a good time and provide valuable information to parents. Thank you, Catherine. I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate you being on the show. Before we get off, can I invite you back next month uh, to talk about another topic <laughs> in your divorce Absolutely. coaching arsenal? Absolutely. You know, when we... I have to tell you something. When we first met, I didn't really <laughs> understand the topic or the about. I didn't really understand what you could provide to people. But now that we talk more and more, and you educate me, I realize how you can really help people going through the divorce process. Just listening to you, I think I'm able to pick up a lot of information and things that I can use to help my own clients. So I really appreciate you being on the show. I want you to be back next month, and I'm going to email you. I have a, such a great idea, I think, about providing <laughs> parallel parenting to parents all over the country, if not all over the Western world. So watch out for my email, okay, Catherine? Well, bear in mind, Vince, that I also hold you in high regard. That's why I've gone to some of your training and seminars, and I've really been impressed with, you know, you and Raj. So um, it's it's always my pleasure. And, and I think that all of us at the heart of things, Raj, I know you're very empathetic towards your clients and feel for them. So <laughs> I really want to drive that point home that, you know, all of us really care about these families, and it's, so horrible what's happening to them in court and we just need to do a better job in and outside the court as professionals as judicial officers as commissioners these families should not have to live like this Catherine thank you again and watch out for my email okay <laughs> all right night guys good night. good night and thank you Raj yeah, Raj, what a great show. What a great show. I, you know, I, I learned a lot. I actually learned a lot, and I'm not just saying that. This whole concept of parallel parking, uh, p- parallel parenting, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to educate myself, you know, get on Google, maybe buy a book or two, and read it. That's fascinating. Um, it's, it was, it was fascinating. Raj, next week, next week we're going to have a topic. What would you like to talk about with the audience? Um, I think I, I really want to encourage a lot of our listeners to, to uh, email our show or call um, call our hotline. Uh, give us some questions. Um, even if it's not your specific question, you can leave a, a note, and then we can try to address some of your issues. So I really want to sort of tackle personal questions and show um, some of our listeners how, you know, how an attorney can be beneficial and, and how you would um, go about solving their problems. Very good, Raj. And I would want to remind the listeners that if they have any questions, they can email our producer of our show, Marissa at VincentWDavis.com. She's our producer. She helps us the show, and she'll get your questions to me and to Raj for the uh, 
radio show next week. Raj, good night, and thank you. Thank you.